Howdy, Green Rush Nation. Producer Shay Gunther here with a quick programming note. Unfortunately, we don't have a regular episode of The Green Rush for you this week, but thankfully we do have a great substitute lined up with an episode of our sister podcast, Marijuana Today, featuring our very own Chris Crane, speaking with his fellow Marijuana Today host, Heather Sullivan. In addition to his work with KCSA and The Green Rush podcast, Chris has been a host on Marijuana Today coming up on eight years now, so there's a lot of podcast wisdom baked in there. You will be glad to have listened Listen to this one. So without further ado, don't sit back, lean forward, and enjoy our conversation with Chris Crane and Heather Sullivan. Welcome to episode 376 of Marijuana Today. It is Friday, September 17th, and I am this week's host, Chris Crane. This week, we've got a very special episode for those who uh, for those who tuned in a few months back when myself and Ben, ben Larson spent an episode effectively shooting the shit. Um, we're going to do it again, only this time it's with my other co-host, uh, Heather Sullivan. So... Uh, I guess, you know, I couldn't, I definitely couldn't do this alone. Not just going to sit here and talk by myself for an hour. Um, so really pleased to have Heather, uh, Heather Sullivan, uh, from Cureleaf on the show. And we're gonna, we're gonna freeform talk for about 45 minutes and, uh, hopefully you all aren't bored in the first 10. So, uh, welcome Heather. Hey, Chris, it's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, it's funny when you started off saying it's a very special episode, that just makes me think of, do you remember like the after school specials that used to be oh, on yeah. <laughs> and they were always like warning people about the dangers of marijuana and terrible things like that. So I think that's a very nice way for us to jump into this today and have our own very special episode where we get to talk about some of the really positive things about cannabis activism and business. That's right. That's right. This is our uh, our Save by the Bell uh, <laughs> uh, special episode. Nine oh two one zero. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I was actually up in Michigan last week and uh, uh, visiting a dispensary, and apparently one of their one of their best selling strains now is is Kelly Kapowski. Uh, I'm gonna have to uh, check uh, that out the next time I'm in I, Michigan. I I have a two gram pre-roll of it sitting upstairs that I have not tried yet, but uh, I'll report back to listeners after I do it. Apparently it's, it's quite popular in Michigan these days. I love it. Yes. Yes. So awesome. So this is, uh, you know, this is another one of those episodes where we're going to kind of talk a bit about, you know, how we got here and what we think about the, the state of things. But, you know, Heather, I want to start with, start with you on this. Um, you know, I, our listeners are obviously very familiar with you at this point. You've been a host now for a couple of years almost. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, close to a couple of years. I think, I think you started hosting right after the pandemic started, right? If I recall yes, correctly. Yes, I think my first episode was in like May of 2020. So maybe like 18 months yep. now. Yep, there you go. So about a year and a half. Um, but, you know, I don't think that, I don't think our listeners are really familiar with your background in this and particularly your your activism and your advocacy work on the ground, particularly in Maine. I think that, you know, they probably know you as, uh, you know, representative of Cureleaf and, and host extraordinaire and guest extraordinaire and all that. But, um, but you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into this and some of the activism work you've been doing in Maine. Cause you know, we, we have a history of activism on this show and, and uh, you know, you're kind of a long line of marijuana today hosts and regulars that come from the activist world, but I don't think our guests know enough or our listeners know enough about it. So tell us. Well, thank you. I love talking about this part of my life um, back in. So I've been a cannabis consumer since I was about 20 years old. Um, uh, you know, a, a real cannabis consumer wow, since late, I was about late, 20 late, years old. Late uh, bloomer. Yep. I, um, I remember. I, not, I, not, not that we advocate anybody using cannabis under the age of 21, of nope, course. Never. Uh, I had a, a boyfriend at the time. And I can remember very distinctly a moment in time where we were, I think, I think we were home growing at the time uh, in a closet in our apartment in, Port, you know, downtown Portland, Maine, above like the cool bars. You know, I was maybe 20, 21 at the time. And I remember him making a statement to the effect of, 
could you imagine if there was a day came that we could actually go to a store and buy this instead of having to buy through uh, less than legal channels at that time? And I no, said, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute that's here. never going to happen. <laughs> Right? No, wait a minute. You said you've been you've been smoking since you were 20. So like this was already in the age of legal cannabis, right? Like you're talking 2014, 2015. Yeah, that you get big credit for that, uh, Chris. I'll <laughs> tell you right now, I've got a pretty big birthday coming up that I'll actually be sharing a little bit about with listeners coming up. But uh, yeah, I'll take that. I I appreciate it. And I'll be honest with you. It's the cannabis that keeps me so young. <laughs> there you go. All right. Love it. So, um, so that, you know, that was a good number of years ago and, uh, I carried on with my life, a very traditional life, you know, college, uh, went out into the workforce, worked, uh, in law firms. Uh, I wasn't very good at doing things like criminal law or family law. Uh, I got a little too emotional for things like that. Uh, but I found a place for myself in regulatory compliance in insurance. So literally the least exciting part of the legal world, part of, frankly, the world itself. But I somehow managed to make it really fun for myself. And uh, probably around 2013, I got the opportunity to work with a large group of um, other insurance companies and industry associations on proposing and getting some changes made to the e-sign laws that we are all very familiar with now. Um, many of us are familiar with the fact that you can open a bank account or sign them or buy a home and you never actually have to show up in person in front of every, in front of anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2012, 2013, uh, particularly for the insurance industry, there are a lot of exceptions to that rule where you couldn't use e-sign uh, as much as we can in other areas. And I got to work with associations and other industry providers and actually change that law. And it taught me two things. It taught me a lot about 50 state uh, regulatory environments and how to function within them. And it also taught me that I could actually contribute to, in this case, you know, something I felt was, you know, not particularly exciting, but yet important to the overall industry. So yeah, moving I mean, forward for a couple I mean, yeah. you know, I can't remember the last time I've like hard copy signed something. Right, right. Well, in insurance, we were still hard copy signing everything. And I abhor inefficiency. It's something I really struggle with. While I speak inefficiently, I do not act inefficiently. <laughs> so um, <laughs> forwarded a couple of years, you know. It's a good when line. You I'm going to use that. Yeah. When you work in a corporate environment, Things can change in that environment that don't have anything to you, anything to do with you, but have a significant impact on your work-life balance, on your satisfaction with the job, and frankly, on your ability to continue to move your career forward. And that's the situation I found myself in. Look, I am not for everyone. I think regular listeners could definitely agree with that. And um, I find myself in a situation where I had a new boss that really didn't appreciate all that Heather brings to the table. And ultimately, I ended up, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys, I ended up making a pretty big mistake um, in my work. And it was a mistake that I fully owned, that I fully um, like admitted to, but it created this situation where my boss who didn't really like me anyway, just continued to find more and more things wrong with what I was doing. So ultimately, I was actually fired from that job. It was a job I held for 13 years. I met my husband at that employer. I had my child while I was with that employer. It was, for the most part, pretty much all I had for social exposure at that time. You know, as a, as a mom, as a mom with a young child, you don't have a big social life. And I had literally done no more activism or engagement in my community than voting when it was convenient for me. So voting for national elections and sometimes, you know, state elections. So that caused me to dive deep into a depression, to be perfectly honest with you. Everything in my life changed drastically overnight. Um, my husband and I were separated at the time. So I was parenting alone. Um, didn't have a huge social circle. And the thing I did to kind of get me out of my dumps was I actually started listening to this podcast. 
So, wow. Yeah. So I started this. I found marijuana today. And now, Chris, prior to this, I had never even posted on Facebook a pro-cannabis anything. I kept my cannabis use, my cannabis infatuation, if you might have it, completely hidden from, I would say, 97% of the people that knew me. Uh, So I started listening to Marijuana Today. And in listening to you, and in particular, in listening to Betty Aldworth, uh, I started to think about the opportunities that were available to me a little bit differently. Well, at the same time, uh, the campaign for um, adult use cannabis in Maine was kicking off. They were having a lot of challenges. Um, many states find see these challenges uh, during citizens' initiative processes. Uh, things like the Secretary of State um, not liking the language that was proposed for the ballot initiative. Uh, we had a situation where we actually uh, they actually had to uh, take the Secretary of State to court uh, because there were challenges related to notary signatures and proper collection gathering methods. And I'm a notary. So I got like furious. I'm like, I can't believe (laughs) that somebody can fuck this up. This is really important. So I sent an email out to David Boyer, who was the um, MPP campaign chair for the state and said, hey, I got a little bit of free time. I want to volunteer. Will you meet with me? It friggin' changed my life, Chris. It was wow. the change. I didn't know all of yeah, this. Yeah, it was the thing in my life that from that I became an activist. From that, I started to realize that I could really make a difference in my home state. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever gone to the state house. Uh, I called my, uh, or I sent a, a note. They have these pages, these young kids that act as pages in the state house. And I wrote a note to my state representative saying I was in the lobby. Uh, would he be, would he be willing to come out and speak with me? And this guy was <laughs> so anti-cannabis. You can, you know, the typical <laughs> older politician from a small town in the whitest and oldest state in the nation. Uh, it was not an easy push. And um, ultimately, he ended up being one of the members of the um, MLA committee, which is the committee that actually ended up rewriting the laws that um, we passed during the campaign. Uh, I also, I learned, so I learned a lot about state government. I learned a lot about making my voice count. Um, And from there, I did what I've always been taught uh, through my own family experiences. And that is, if you want to do something, start at the bottom. So learn from the bottom up. I have a wonderful uncle that has been very successful in his life. And at one point, he did a run um, in as an executive at McDonald's and Boston Market. And uh, I remember him telling me that he went and worked the drive-thru. Like, that's part of the, the onboarding process at McDonald's for executives at that time was that you go and work the drive-thru. And it really stuck with me about how important it is to start um, from the bottom up. So I was lucky enough to get connected with, one, uh, with the only family-owned uh, medical dispensary in the state post-campaign, and I went to work for them as a bud tender. And I learned patience. I learned the true value of the medical use of the product. Um, and then I just moved up from there. So that's, that's in, you know, however many minutes that was, 10. <laughs> that, is the, uh, that is the origin story for me. No, it's fantastic. I love that. I mean, when I, so I think one of the most valuable things I did, I've ever, I did in the cannabis industry, at least when I was getting into the cannabis industry, um, was, you know, I, so I, obviously I had come out of SSDP, um, uh, you know, and had been an activist my whole career and I'd never been in any industry, let alone the cannabis industry. And it was, you know, Steve D'Angelo recruited me to come out to Oakland and, 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 you know, help start this company can be, which was a, a, a massive failure, but it was awesome. Um, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and you know, he, the first thing he did was like, he said, look, Chris, I want you 
if we're going to if we're going to go out there and we're going to sell people on on starting harborside model dispensaries, which was which was the whole concept behind can be. I know. And we both agreed. I was like, Steve, I need to know how a dispensary operates. Like I've done tours here. I've been here plenty of times. And so I spent basically a month and a half or so before I went and actually like started working at the consulting business, doing every job at Harborside. Um, I worked in the processing department for a few days. I worked in the inventory department. Um, right. I mean, I literally spent days just turning pounds into grams, eighths and ounces, right. Weighing them yeah. out, you know, weighing out hash, putting them in little bags, uh, right. Hanging out with the people in the processing room, right. With the headphones on and yes. the, you know, the music going and all that. And, you know, I spent a couple days doing security at the front door. Um, right. All of it. I spent time as a bud tender. I loved doing a bud tender. Um, I loved that part. In fact, the, the, the supervisor at the time was like, Chris, like, can you stay and keep doing this? Cause like, I know you're supposed to go do this other job, but like, We've got like you're really good at this. We should keep you. I know it's just like I, I loved it. I would love to do that. If Ladies I could. and gentlemen, um, can you imagine if Chris Crane, the Chris Crane, decided to stay as a bud tender at Harborside? <laughs> imagine but nobody how. Knew me. But I mean, nobody think about me. it. Imagine how different this industry would look if you weren't a part of it, Chris. Well, I'd be a part of it. I'd just be bud tending. Sure. Um, sure. But it was great. Like, I, you know, I, nobody knew me as a bud tender there, right? I'd come out of SSDP, right? I, you know, and I was now in Oakland, right? Across the country. So nobody knew, nobody knew me there. Um, and I just had, I was just another bud tender and I had so much fun doing it. But that was so, like, I love hearing you, you know, hearing you say, you know, you say this, that I, I wanted to learn the business, right? Because I had a very similar experience and that was extremely formative. I mean, it allowed me to n understand how to talk about, the workings of a cannabis business um, in a way that I, I never would have had I not had that experience. I'm really glad to hear that you were, you were able to do that. Yeah. You know, when days get really hard, um, there's, there's a certain gentleman, a certain veteran, an, an elderly veteran that I worked with that really made an impact on me or didn't work with in, he was a patient and you know, there's days this, this industry is not easy. Uh, this industry is That's not for, sure. for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't know about you, Chris, but there are definitely days when I can say like, Ugh, is this really all worth it? Like, particularly as we've seen the activism side of things move into the capitalism side of things, you know, then, you know, with activism, there is much more of a sense of, I know I'm doing this for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. With capitalism, mm -hmm. there's times, and you and you and Ben talked about this on your one-on-one -on -one show, there's times where you have to ask yourself those questions. Is this a good business decision? Is this a good social position? It's one of the things about the cannabis industry that continues every day to get me excited to wake up and do my job because we do take those things into consideration when we're making decisions in our work. I have a question it's, for you, Chris. Sure. What was your, do you remember, and what was your first cannabis experience? So I'm talking, I mean, you don't have to age yourself in this, but do you I actually remember myself. the first time you smoked a joint? <laughs> I do. Well, the first, so I didn't, well, because, particularly because I didn't get high. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, so I remember my first cannabis experience. I also remember the first time I got high, which were two separate uh, events. Um, uh, the first, so the first time I, the first experience I had with cannabis, I was I was an exchange student uh, when I was 15 years old. Um, I spent a semester in Prague in 1994. Um, lived with a Czech family. I'd hosted the Czech student for the first semester of my sophomore year of high school, and I lived um, with a Czech family for my second semester of high school. I mean, it was a really unique experience to be able to do that, you know, as a, as a high school student. Um, exchange and that is, students you know, I mean, I rock. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was great. It was really I mean, it was really fun. And especially I mean, especially just to be in Prague in 1994 when they were still kind of coming out of communism. Right. They just split uh, Czechoslovakia, just split into two. Like there were still like I think there were three or four McDonald's in the city and it was still like novel. And like a, it was like it was also like one of the most expensive restaurants in the say, city. That's where all the rich <laughs> people went. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So but ironically, that's where I bought my first uh, that's where I first bought weed was actually in the McDonald's on, um, uh, just off of Wenceslas square in Prague. I was with, um, I was with a couple friends of mine from high school. And one of my friends was like, we should, we should go, we should go get some weed. And it's like, well, I've never done that before. Let's, let's try it. Um, and, Had you uh, tried alcohol by that point. 
uh, only like a month or two before that. Um, it was also in Prague that I learned to drink beer. Um, so fun, so funny story on that one, actually. So this was, I mean, we were, you know, I was 15 years old, um, and my, me and, and my four friends who had all come, we were, there were five of us that were on this program from New York city. And we went to this, this pub, uh, which ironically ended up actually becoming like our hangout, uh, later on. But, uh, it was this awesome bre brewery, um, which later became like a tourist trap, but back then people didn't really know about it. Um, and we went in there and we ordered one beer because we weren't sure if they would even serve us. And we didn't even get a seat. We were like standing in like the, the waiting area. We ordered one beer and we literally passed it around between the five of us and like drank this. So like, it was like sharing a joint. Because awesome. um, <laughs> we didn't know, you know, we didn't know any better. We were just like lucky to get it. You know, you know, a couple weeks later, we were going there like every day after school. We would just go and sit and have a beer at the pub because it was totally normal for high school students to have, you know, a beer or two after school. It was not uh, it was not frowned upon at all. Um, but we went to McDonald's and uh, my friend met up with a friend of his at McDonald's and we bought a dime bag and uh, went back to his house. Uh, uh, How good was the weed? I don't know. I didn't get high <laughs> from it. Uh, nothing, nothing happened. My friend got very high. He was saying, oh, this is great. This is good stuff. And I was like, I don't know. Nothing's happening here. Uh, uh, and it was, and it was a couple times later when I actually smoked and got high for the first time. I was like, oh, this was amazing. But that was, I was back in New York by that point. Um, I didn't, you know, because if nothing happened the first time, I didn't like, it wasn't like, oh, I got to go do that again. I was like, oh, I don't know if this thing really works. So I'm just going to stick with drinking beer. Um, but uh, yeah, then I did, then I, then I discovered, uh, actually how to get high later on and um and that was that was terrific and you know here we are so how about you what was your first cannabis experience so you know t so i grew up in a very small town in maine um i so i graduated in 1989 so we're talking like 1986 maybe 1987 here we we drank graduated high, high school in high 89? school yeah high school in 89 okay. um we um we went hard and early in our youth at that time, let's just say. <laughs> so sure. I had been, you know, drinking for a little while. Um, and, you know, cannabis, it's, it's really funny. Uh, the very first time. So we had this oh, such a ridiculous story. So we had this. Back in that time, we used to do a lot of partying in uh, sand pits and gravel pits. But we had this one really <laughs> cool place that we used to go to. It was this stretch of, um, I would say highway, but it's a small area. This stretch of road that actually, um, it was like a, a, a grassy knoll uh, up against a, uh, a gorgeous lake in the state of Maine. And the person who owned that grassy knoll really wanted to really wanted the town to buy it from him so his way of getting the town to buy it from him was that he actually allowed teenagers to come onto that land so in full view he allowed teenagers to come onto that land drink smoke pot and have sex in full view of the police officers who would sit across the street because he didn't allow them onto the land and the town said, the oh only way God. we can Could clean this up. you imagine that today? No, it would never happen today. <laughs> <laughs> so the first time I smoked a joint, I was actually sitting on that grassy knoll across from two police officers. This is at a time that, you know, this was still at a time where the cops would maybe drive you home instead of ticketing you for something, right? So while I wasn't boldly smoking a joint, like, blowing smoke in their face. You know, I was back to the cops, hunched over, you know, with a, with a you know, Virginia Slim's 120 menthol in one hand <laughs> and this horrible pinner in the other hand. <laughs> so that was my first experience. But my first real experience or where I started to build my cannabis uh, love my love of cannabis is, is basically the way I can describe it was uh, it was literally I fell in love for real for the first time and fell in love with cannabis on the same day so the boy that's uh, fortuitous uh, yeah totally crazy so um, a boyfriend a long-term boyfriend of mine back in the day uh, who's a great friend of mine a little shout out to Jason um I remember very distinctly him getting me extremely high and then kissing me. And it's the only time in my life that there were actual fireworks that went off. <laughs> so I don't know if that is fireworks for the weed <laughs> or for my very good friend, but I like to think it was the weed. 
I couldn't hurt. No, <laughs> it nope, certainly couldn't not hurt. At all. And from that day forward, I was a consumer. I was a fairly regular consumer, but I was completely in the closet for the most part. Interesting. So what brought you to what brought you to Cureleaf? Like what brought you into the like how'd you get into the industry? So uh, so I started off bud tending for um, the dispensary in Maine, Canuvo, a great group of people over there. Yeah. And oh, I then did uh, Glenn, Glenn, I, uh, Glenn Peterson. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Petersons are amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, they, I mean, they're, they're real pioneers in this. Absolutely. Uh, they're good, good people. And they can tell stories of days where they would show up at their retail store with like an ounce of weed and they had to like split it between all their customers, right? Like this was, you know, they were real <laughs> true pioneers, uh, continue oh, to be pioneers. Um, they continue to be very good friends of mine. Uh, I was very lucky. They, you know, they took a risk on me. They saw my work on the campaign. They knew that I was enthusiastic. Uh, Glenn called me one day and said, would you be interested? We only start people out as bud tenders. Or if you were going to start out on the cultivation side, you know, they start you out as a trimmer. And mm -hmm. I thought about it and I said, you know, absolutely. Now, remember, this is me going from a pretty successful career in the legal department of the largest employer in the state. And now I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be a bud tender. And I freaking, right, right. <laughs> I loved it. And I wouldn't change it for the world. So Glenn and Sage also gave me the opportunity to start working in our capital in Augusta uh, while the uh, legislature was rewriting the laws that we passed. So warning, uh, one that I give to listeners often, uh, your legislatures may try to make changes to the laws that you pass. You've got to stay on top of this, not just, Absolutely. Not just during signature gathering, not just during citizens initiatives, but after the fact. Um, and having the opportunity to do that, you know, I also continued to um, develop a network during this time. So during the campaign, um, I got hooked up with Women Grow in Boston. Uh, I remember this day really well. I'm directionally challenged and don't spend a lot of time in Boston. And I had a hard time finding the, it was just a networking event that Women Grow put on. Um, shout out here to Beth Waterfall and Kara hey, Crab Beth, Burnham. She's great. Yeah, Kara Crab Burnham. Yeah, and Kara also. Great, yep. yeah. Good, good, great activists and good people. Oh my God. Amazing women. Amazing women in this space. And uh, Shailene Title was there that night. And uh, I remember sitting in my car, I, I get, you know, while I'm very effusive on the podcast, I suffer from a bit of social anxiety, helped significantly by cannabis, I will say. And, uh, you know, these were all new things to me. You know, I'm driving to Boston, not something I do regularly. I'm going to a cannabis event still when I was in the place where I wasn't quite out as a cannabis advocate and consumer. Uh, and I got lost and I remember driving around over and over and it's the time's ticking and I'm late now. And I had to, I stopped and said to myself, this, you have to make this decision right now. You could turn the car around and drive home and you have, and then you will have to tell you, you will have to admit to yourself that you failed on this potential journey or you suck it up. You find a place to park and you find this freaking event. And again, it's one of those things that I chose to suck it up. You know, I've got like tears in my eyes. I'm walking into the, <laughs> you know, walking into like a WeWork office, never having experienced any, any of this stuff before. And Beth Waterfall greets me and makes me feel awesome. like I was supposed to be there all along. Um, by the end of the session, I'm telling Shalene Title how amazing she is. I'm asking questions during the Q&A period. Uh, and, you know, those types of things. It's, it's, you know, one of the things I love to do is talk to people who are trying to get into the industry because it's really those tiny steps that brought me along each time. So did the bud tending thing for a while, for about a year. I also, um, because I was unsure about what would happen in this industry and I came from such a traditional background I had also decided to go back to school and get my MBA during the the legalization campaign because I figured if the campaign failed 
then I could just put on my resume that I went back to school and I wouldn't, you know, cause I, at that time, you know, this was 2015, 2016, there was still some concern about, uh, could you, could you go into the cannabis space and then like leave it and go back to a traditional right, job? Would they right, take absolutely. you back? Um, this yep. is not the case. What it, you know, what it even looks like now where we're going out to, you know, the Nikes of the world and we're actually stealing their talent now. Um, that was not the case. In fact, we were still in a place where um, I remember being on a women grow uh, video call one time and I think it was Jane West that was on. And I asked the question, do you think that people should make a fake name or should we be ourselves in this? Like, cause I didn't know what to do in this. And I had, um, a family that was pretty resistant to me making these changes for me doing something that was out of the ordinary. Um, and in fact, I still struggle with it. My dad turned to me this summer. So I've been doing this work for five, six years now. I am well known in my local community. I was lucky enough to just get named or uh, appointed to the medical marijuana uh, advisory work group in Maine. So, uh, you know, government entity has now appointed me to something. Um, I work super cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I work for the largest cannabis company in the world. I make more money than I've ever made in my life. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And my father still turned to me this summer and said, I don't think cannabis dispensaries should be in communities. I'm sorry you don't like that. So what are you going to do, right? I, I mean, literally, look, always, yeah. <laughs> I tell people there. all the time, I literally went to work on the campaign because Previously, I had gone to my dad and said, what do you have against cannabis? And again, I was not out of the closet at all with cannabis. What do you have against it, dad? And he said, it's illegal. And I said, so if the law changed, you would be okay with it, right? And he said, yes. And I went and changed the law and it still isn't good enough. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, find for a lot of, do, do find for a lot of folks that, uh, that you know, that's, that, that cite illegality as their, as their rationale that that's not really the, the reason. Although, look, I find I, I find others that it really does it really does change their minds or open them up to the possibility of of, of trying it. Um, I mean, had a had an experience just just uh, well, just recently, and I don't want to out who it was, but um, you know, uh, some some folks that we know, my wife and I know, and uh, a, a couple, uh, older couple, um, and uh, the, the 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 wife and the couple has been using cannabis periodically to uh mostly to help with like arthritis and and sleep issues and her husband you know he's been drug tested his entire career and but he's also very very conservative very law and order i'm not for it it's illegal for a reason right kind of thing even though you know, I'm trying to explain like well i i could tell you the reason <laughs> like i've given lectures on this um but, uh, you know, recently found out that, like, you know, his drug testing is going to stop soon. Um, uh, it, it, it's a it's a it's a pension thing um, and was like, hey, like, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll roll up a doobie and like try this thing. It's like, oh, shit. OK, so, you know, you never you never know. Right. You never you, ne you, you, you never know. And I'm not saying this person's going to wind up doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, but in a moment after a couple beers thought like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe when I don't have to get drug tested anymore, I'll try it. So. Uh, the, the legality of it has made a huge difference, not for everybody, right? If someone's just hardened against it, they're just hardened against it. I mean, I, you know, I'll, you know, example, my, 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 my stepfather, um, this is, you know, not someone I grew up with. Um, my, my mom and him got married. I was already an adult and well out of the house. Um, but he's a retired New York city police officer. Um, and, uh, you know, was fairly anti, anti-cannabis. Now to be fair, I mean, he did, he, he's always said, look, when I was a cop, I didn't really care about it. Right. Like I never tried to bust people for pot. I mean, if they were doing it openly in front of me, of course, I had to do it. But this was never something I cared about or looked for, but also had this, you know, sort of the law enforcement mindset of like it's illegal for a reason. And if it's illegal, it's, it's you know, it should be illegal. Well, and it's still um, used in situations to gain access to potential um, harder crimes. Right. So 
the, oh, you well, know, the, yeah, no, you know it's, the <laughs> smell of cannabis, you know, that that stuff's still going on right now. Let's. Oh, yeah. No, that's a huge issue. Right. I mean, it's 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 an excuse for racial profiling and for, you know, getting, you know, for for, you know, trying to, you know, trying to gain access to people that otherwise you wouldn't, you know, you have no reason to stop them. Right. I mean, it was the main thing people got busted for and stop and frisk. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast on the impact of, of cannabis prohibition on law enforcement. But, um, you know, this is someone who's now in his 70s who you know, I'll smoke a joint with from time to time, right? You know, usually late at night, right? Usually after a couple glasses of wine and it helps him sleep. And he's, you know, he'll, he'll take, he takes THC pills now that he gets from the, you know, from a, I think from True Leaf down in Florida, because it's like the closest dispensary to, to my parents' house. Um, I, I bet don't you think there's, there's a Cure Leaf close by. I don't <laughs> think there is. Um, there's a, there's a couple others they've tried clo- that are, not as close. I know True Leave is the closest one. They're in Jupiter, Florida, for whatever that's worth. But, um, but, but anyway, like they found these THC pills that like you know, help them sleep at night. And it's so, so you funny just see, you know, how these- our older, you know, our older family members, older consumers, they love the pill format, which is like the opposite of what many of the of us. Um, more sophisticated, I guess, consumers. But I find but if that they're used, pill but it makes format sense, right? works if they're used, for them. If they're- it does because they're because they're one they're they're using it for medicine for the most part right they're using it for medical purposes and that's what they're used to like I'd we rather take our have a Marma. <laughs> I, I yeah I mean you know I think most people would but like and Mar- you know shout out to Marmas they're awesome um, be launching in California here uh, in the next few weeks very cool uh, I just on, sent on the a, a close market. friend over to uh, over to the Mission Dispensary and Marmas were on the list. Yes, Marmas are uh, they are they are popular in Massachusetts. They're doing really well in Massachusetts, from what I hear, um, and they are about to flood the California market when this massive, highly automated facility. I mean, this is a tangent, but uh, and, and I, you know, I, as uh, I think our listeners know, I'm no longer at Forefront, um, other than in a very high level consulting role. But I'm very excited to see this facility that Forefront's going to be opening up in uh, Commerce, California. It will be the most automated production facility in the United States. Um, everything is done. Everything's automated. Um, uh, they'll go from doing like right now in, in Washington state forefront is the, um, uh, through, through the, through Northwest cannabis solutions, the old Canex subsidiary, uh, is the most efficient producer in the state. It's why Marma's kind of dominate, um, that market. And we, we do seven of the top 10 selling edible brands in that market because we can produce them cheaper than anybody else there. Um, but we'll go from doing 10,000, 10,000 boxes of Marma's a day in Washington with a staff of 20 people to 11,000 boxes of Marma's an hour with a staff of four people. Um, I mean, it is literally, it's the same machinery that Mars Candy uses, just modified for cannabis. I mean, it's literally like screen pops up, like sugar here, gelatin here, food coloring here, distillate here, Boom, 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 push some buttons and they all come out the assembly line individually packaged on the other side. Like it's, uh, Amazing. it's going to be awesome. Amazing. This is, look, this is where, this is where, this is where this stuff is going, right? Eventually that's how, that's how like large scale foods produced, right? And there's no, no reason why cannabis edibles can't be produced the same way. It's just nobody else has done it yet. Um, well, so, there's yeah, a, you know, there's a significant investment that goes in on getting, yeah, on being the cheap. first one to get that, uh, that equipment <laughs> yes. to work yes. for what you're doing. Like yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, you're, you know, that's, that's taking on a big business risk, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a big upfront investment. Um, but I think, you know, California, it makes sense. There's enough population. There's enough cheap biomass. Like this is a, you know, 160,000 square foot processing facility uh, with no cultivation. I mean, it's just, it's just massive. Um, so, so, yeah. Do you think if, um, if Newsom signs the hemp bill, so did you, I'm sure you heard that um, the legislature passed the hemp bill that's now going to officially uh, legalize edible and inhalables from CBD. Um, so would, right, right. So, that, you know, there's another huge opportunity in California, right? If uh, assuming that Newsom signs it, he better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he will. Yeah, no, clearly. I mean, look, I don't. That's, that's not a decision I'll be making. Yeah, um, no, And true. I think you know, my my former colleagues have their hands full just trying to get that place up and running, get it into the market. My brother runs that facility, um, so you know, I get I get the updates. No kidding. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. We brought him on to. He, he's been in the. He's been in the industry out there for uh, for years, um, on the predominantly on the processing side and you know, running operations. He, he ran operations for uh, a really high end, um, uh, basically hash maker and uh, ha- you know uh, high end saucepans and sauce and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, stuff that still sells for like hundred twenty dollars a gram in the California market. Um, so you know now, now he's you know now he's doing now he's doing this on a much bigger scale. Um, 
So we'll see. Yeah. So Californians, keep your eye out. <laughs> hey, I want to put an open invitation to Chris Crane's brother to come on the show and share stories about Chris Crane as a youth. <laughs> <laughs> so funny enough, so he could, but funny enough, we didn't actually, we, we were, we're, we're, tech, we're half brothers, so we didn't actually grow up in the same household, oh. um, but he'll have stories. Um, yeah, we both grew up with our respective mothers, uh, most of the time with him in Florida and me in New York, um, so our, our, our uh, most of our shared experiences were when we were both at our dad's house in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we'll get Josh on the show one of these days. I'm, sure he'd, I'm sure he'd love to come on and do it. I'd um, love it. So I know we're a little yeah. bit time crunched, Chris. I was just going to say the same thing, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted, I guess I wanted, you know, I wanted, before we break here, I mean, wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on like, where are we going with all this? Like, what are you, like, what are you most excited about now? What are you most excited about? What's, you know, what's, what's coming in the near term and maybe on the flip side, like what are you most concerned about? Ha! Huh. I'm most concerned and most excited about the same thing, right? I mean, federal legalization ah. as a whole, um, I'm concerned about it because it's not going to be easy. It's not. So I think a lot of people have the impression that like a federal legalization is going to happen quickly, which I don't believe will be that once it happens, no, yeah. it, like, it's not, ha it's not happening this term. No, sure. I don't even necessarily know that it's happening next term. Um, it, I think, well, it ha I think term, a lot next, of it next has term, to do forget with the, it. the, the Republicans are going to, the Republicans are going to take the house next term. So it's, I mean, if it doesn't happen by the end of this Congress, uh, by the end of 2022, it's who knows when it's going to happen. Yeah, and I, d I just don't, I see there are so many things that Congress is dealing with right now that, you know, even as someone who's in this industry that finds it really important, like, I also can't, like, say, like, what would I move this up in the list of things that Congress has to do right now? Uh, I definitely feel like let's, you know, Biden's not doing a super great job on getting his presidential appointments in place. Like, we've got to get some of this stuff going. Um, I don't like... I mean, we should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, though, right? Like, presidential appointments, it's, it's you know, we're... we're close to the end of 2021 already. Like presidential appointments are not something we should even be talking about right yep. now. I have some pretty serious concerns about the economy um, and, and how long it's going to take us to kind of come out of this COVID uh, recession type thing and really what the, what the economy looks like when we come out of it. Um, because I'm very concerned about entrepreneurs. I'm very concerned about rank and file workers that aren't uh, represented by unions, to be perfectly honest with you. But I'm also, you know, concerned with rank and file Shh, workers don't, that are. Don't, don't, tell, don't tell your bosses. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my, this is one of these things that, that I've heard you talk about, Chris, where it's, it's trying to figure out the balance between, you know, my personal, you know, Norma Ray was like my favorite movie when I was growing up. Um, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. you know, had I grown up in the middle of Indiana in a factory environment, I would have been the Norma Ray, right? Maybe not as successful, but, um, <laughs> you know, the other one that I love is Silkwood. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Silkwood, it's an amazing movie that Cher it plays an awesome role in. It's probably from like the early 80s um but it talks a lot about um manufacturing employers and how they treat their employees in this particular case i believe that they were doing some work with nuclear uh <laughs> with like i don't you know you know me i don't know the science but uh, i highly recommend it so federal legalization of course it's the thing i'm most excited about what's going to happen interstate commerce international commerce um what does mm -hmm. my personal trajectory look like in a federal legalization world? Um, but it's also the thing that I worry about the most because I tend to worry about things that I don't really know about. <laughs> right? So I think that's totally fair. No, I mean, look, legalization, like I've been working towards it for literally my entire career. Um, so that's the end goal. But I also worry about what it ultimately looks like. Right? I mean, there is going to be big, 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 big money and big power at play here who, you know, uh, don't share the values that a lot of us in the industry today share and that it's certainly that a lot of us in the movement share. And, you know, they might come in and railroad over every single one of us. And like, who knows where that leaves us when it's all said and done? I mean, I've, I worry a lot about the FDA, ugh. right? The FDA taking, you know, we've talked about this in the show, yep. and I, but they, you know, the FDA taking over control of this thing scares the crap out of me. I mean, the FDA will, will just hand this on a silver platter to, you know, big tobacco, big alcohol. Um, 
And like, who knows what that means for them? And maybe we all get gobbled up and acquired and everyone, you know, makes money and goes away happy. But um, even even if that's the case, like what kind of industry are we ultimately left with? And is it something that we can, you know, we can ultimately be, ultimately be proud of? And I think it's a real, you know, I think these are real concerns that um, the exuberance around legalization, I think, the, you know, the exuberance around legalization um, has has caused a lot of us to you know, not think enough about or to sort of overlook. Um, and we need to, you know, we need to keep our guard up. Chris, I'm curious, what do you think is the next, what's the next kid? You know, you just said it, you've done this literally for your entire career. What's the next one? Is it, you know, we talk a little bit about on this show about psychedelics, right? Is it psychedelics? Is it, um, sex work? You know, what is the next cannabis legalization push what do i want to start looking at now so that i can be ready to help when when we're advocating post cannabis legalization i mean look i I, it's a tough one because i don't i don't think anything is going to look like cannabis legalization like you're not going to have state legal psilocybin markets the way that we have you know state legal cannabis markets um maybe you'll have state legal prostitution or sex work markets the way that we've got it for for cannabis um right i don't know if that's that it's probably not an industry i'm gonna get involved in myself um <laughs> you know i'll be right at the forefront of that <laughs> sure no look i mean like hey I, I, as from an advocacy standpoint like i am 100 percent in favor of legalizing sex work i think we need to do it to protect the the workers first and foremost to protect the the, the customers right to get organized crime out of it i mean all the arguments that we use for legalizing cannabis are, are, are you know apply just as well to um to, to legalizing sex works i just don't think that's an industry i'm gonna get involved in <laughs> so, yeah like a little you know, definitely i i think i pushed it enough with like family and whatnot being in cannabis uh, that that'd be a that'd be a tough one to like have my kids go home and explain to their, you know, go, go, go to the school and explain to their teachers. Um, it's tough enough for them to explain this, isn't it? Uh, you know what? This I don't think it, it, it and maybe it's just because of, ha- you know, how late they're coming of age. This hasn't been that difficult. Like, I've just never shied away from it. They know what cannabis is. They understand it. Right. I mean, I treat cannabis the way I treat alcohol with them. It's just not for it's not for it's not for kids. Right. It has benefits. It can also be abused. It's not good for developing. And they get it right. Like kids don't go and just like try alcohol because it's around like they they understand. And we'll deal with, you know, when they're teenagers, I'll deal with this just, you know, similarly the way I would deal with alcohol and be honest and about it. But yeah, um, but but welcome to the 12 year old world where he uh, where my son recently told me that. um, Do you really only care about weed? It's your whole life. So, <laughs> right. And I'm that sure is we'll not get, as I'm, a consumer. He means that literally as that is my job. That is what I advocate yeah, for. Yeah, that yeah. is how I identify. Right. And that's a kid, you know, just like you know, wanting more time with their mom. Right. Uh-huh. That's totally, totally normal. Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, but go, I think, look, go learn how to weigh out eights for me, buddy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, so I don't think that. I don't think that any of these other issues that you mentioned are going to play out the way that that cannabis legalization has played out. I think this is a really unique space um, and something that's, you know, it has so much sort of universal or, or majority acceptance that these types of like state legal markets can 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 happen. Whereas, you know, that's not going to happen with psychedelics. Psychedelics is all going through pharma. Yep. Right. It's all going through the FDA process. But I think it's ending the drug war. Like, and I think that's, you know, we got to keep our eye on the, on the bigger prize here. And that like ending the drug war was never just about legalizing marijuana, legalizing legalizing marijuana was the easiest step. Not to say it's easy by any, by any means, right. We're, 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 you know, decades in and it's still not federally, federally legal. Um, but it's always been the most used. It's always been the most accepted, but you know, then it becomes ending the stigma around other drugs and not just psychedelics, which are clearly having a moment and and are definitely sort of next, but it's going to happen differently. But you know, but the drugs that like, that are not popular and that come with more difficulties, right? The like methamphetamines and, and, and heroin and opiates and, and cocaine and all this other stuff. And, and really thinking through, what does legalization of these things look like, right? What does ending the drug war look like? Cause it's not, you're not going to have 
medical cocaine dispensaries in states around the country, right? Like that's never going to happen, um, right? You're not going to have medical meth. Um, They're right somebody next just to the a- uh, state-run sex shops. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can see those a lot more, you know, I can see the, the, the you know, the, the sex shops more readily than I could see the, you know, the, the, the cocaine dispensaries. Um, so like, what does that mean? How do we medicalize it? How do we take the stigma away from it? While also not, you know, not encouraging widespread use of substances that that are easier to abuse than cannabis. And right, I mean, we see that, you know, the opiate crisis is a very, very real thing. Right. More people die every year of op- from opiates than from covid. Um, right. It's a you know, it's a it's a it, this is you know, th- this is very real. And yet we need to make sure we're not stigmatizing those people in the process that they can get the help, that the substances that they're using are as safe as possible that aren't produced in, you know, in unsafe environments, but are produced in legal and safe environments. And that that's the next step, right? And we get marijuana finished, then it's like, let's go in the war on drugs. Um, but I do have to go yes. here. Um, we got to wrap this up because yeah, yeah. um, I am I am late for another call for uh, one of my one of my many jobs now. Uh, <laughs> now that I no longer have one. Hey, uh, and so. officially giving you the big old congratulations for making the switch uh, from forefront. Uh, no longer kind of working on the day to day operations of something. I'm very excited to see where you make your mark next, Chris. And if and if you haven't thought about it yet, I hope you are thinking of writing a book one day. I think one that, day. It's, I think it's, that would it's be definitely a in the back read. of my mind. It's it is definitely in the back of my mind. It's something I want to do. I think I, I I know who I want to enlist to help me write it. Um, I have a family member, a cousin of mine, who's an amazing amazing writer, uh, a poet, writer, author. Um, so one of these days, uh, but I you know I got to get I got to get a little closer to retirement yet. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not there yet. Um, so Heather, this has been awesome. Well, I'm not going to do finishing moves because this whole show has been kind of freeform. So. Um, Thank you for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. We could easily go on for another couple hours, um, uh, but uh, but you know, for the sake of our listeners and our respective jobs and careers, let's uh, let's call it a let's call it a break here. That sounds great, Chris. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time learning my story. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome, Heather. Um, well, thank you, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope everybody. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, of course, of as course, always. Of course. Um, And I hope everybody has enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and have a lovely marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.